I want to ask you to take a little quiz today and answer for yourself, not the person you're sitting next to, and um, just uh, answer yes or no to these questions. Do you ever feel guilty when you relax, when you know you have a lot of stuff to do? Yes or no? Do you often feel dissatisfied or unhappy with your particular situation that you find yourself in today? Do you have a tendency to see something that's wrong rather than what's right? Do you use these phrases regularly? I must, I ought to, I should be able to, and things like that. Do you ever feel frustrated, maybe, maybe even angry, with God because you feel his expectations of you are unreasonable or too much? Does your relationship with God seem more like a burden than a blessing? And if you answered yes to any one of those, to some degree, some of you greater, some smaller, but to some degree, you're buying in to a thing called perfectionism. Now, I want to give you a definition because this is what we're going to talk about today. Perfectionism is trying to prove my worth by being perfect. And this is a, a huge problem for people. I have watched throughout my ministry, it's been my observation, that perfectionism may be the number one hang-up of most Christians. It happens like this. When you first become a believer or a Christian, you understand what grace is all about. That, you know, I take all my sins and I give them to God, and then God forgives my past, and God gives me power for the present, and God secures eternity for me, secures my future with heaven. And I think, wow, what a deal. I don't earn it. I don't buy it. I just accept it. It's a free gift to me. So initially, it sounds too good to be true. And I think what happens is in our mind, we begin to say, surely I've got to help God out. You know, surely God expects something from me. I mean, I've got to do something to, like, gain God's approval in my life. And I think it leads Christians to one of two paths, and they are the greatest enemies of grace. The first is legalism, where we try and earn God's approval through obeying a lot of rules, hoop jumping, so to speak. And the other is perfectionism, where we try and prove our worth, I try and prove my worth by being perfect. And the entire Bible, there's one book, the book of Galatians, that is dedicated to this. Paul writes this book. He's trying to combat these two enemies of grace. And he reminds us that we don't earn our grace, that we live in Graceland. Galatians 3.3 says, How foolish can you be after starting your Christian lives in the Spirit why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human efforts? This series, we're saying we live in Graceland. 
And today what I want to do is focus on how to break free from this performance track. This idea of striving for perfection in our lives. And I believe if you can grasp what we're going to talk about today, that for some of you, you're going to find a new joy and freedom in your life and in your Christian walk. Perfect. The first thing we have to understand is what, what happens to us when we try to, you know, perfect ourselves? And what happens is it kind of derails us. It, first of all, perfectionism, if you're on that track, it, it deflates your plans. It neutralizes my, my initiative in my life. How many of you have ever had a project that you just can't seem to start? Come on, let's be honest. Come on. I mean, you want to start it. It's a good thing that you're wanting to do. You know it's the right thing to do, and you may even find yourself saying, one of these days, but you never start it. And I want to suggest to you one of the reasons you don't start is because of perfectionism. Because in your mind, you're waiting for the perfect circumstance, the perfect timing, the perfect environment. And so it comes out different ways. People go, well, when, when my kids are out of school, when we start a family, or you know, when we have a certain amount of money, then we'll do this. And we're waiting and waiting and waiting till things are just right. And as a result of waiting for that perfect circumstance, you procrastinate. You set the bar so high, it kind of paralyzes you in movement. I like what Ecclesiastes says is, if you wait for the perfect conditions, read with me, you will get everything done. You'll never get anything done. Let's see if I can read. You'll never get anything done. Friends, perfectionism deflates your plans. It also damages relationships big time. I mean, how many of you enjoy being around someone that corrects you all the time? <laughs> I mean, nobody likes that. Nobody, we don't like being nagged. We don't like being corrected. We don't like being straightened out all the time. I mean, it's just aggravating. You know, Proverbs says, love forgets mistakes. Nagging about them parts the best of friends. The desire to always correct, it kind of damages relationships. And we all have to understand we are perfectionists to one degree or another in different areas of our lives. And what, what happens is perfectionism causes us to look for things that are wrong all the time. It's rooted kind of in insecurity. Have you ever noticed that when you don't feel good about yourself, you don't want others feeling good about themselves either? It's true. If, if I don't like me, I certainly don't want you liking you. I mean, I want us to be miserable together. True? And what's interesting is perfectionists who, who are demanding, who are harsh... They, they are as hard on themselves as they are 
other people. You know, they're, they're harsh and demanding of themselves in, in life, and so they press it because they hold themselves to the high standard. They hold everybody else to that high standard. And because they take great pains in their own life, they create pain in everyone around them. I mean, perfectionists, they damage relationships. And if you're a perfectionist, you kind of uh, di diminish your, your happiness in life. Ecclesiastes says, do not be excessively righteous. And do not be overly wise. Why should you ruin yourself? That's an interesting verse, isn't it? It doesn't sound like it should be in the Bible to me at first. But what it's saying is you can't take things to the extreme. See, it's not talking about genuine righteousness. It's not talking about uh, real wisdom in life. It's talking about this perfection, you know, where we, we kind of ride a, a high horse and say, hey, check out how I'm living. I'm doing it the right way. Friends, you can take any virtue and make it a vice if you twist it, if you go to the extremes with it. But Scripture's saying you need to keep it in balance. Why should you ruin yourself? Some translations, it says, why make yourself miserable? If in your mind you have a picture of the ideal you, I mean, I'm talking about the person that you put on your job application. You know, not real. It's not the real you. It's, it's the one up here. You know, it's, it's what you show on a first date. The imaginary you. Imaginary, ideal. Real, ideal. Who you are and who you'd like to be. Friends, there is a major, major gap in, with all of us from the ideal to the real. And, and what happens is in our head, we've got this ongoing conversation. And it kind of goes, shape up. Come on, you can do better than that. Are, are you kidding me? Get your act together. Not again. When are you going to change? And it plays and plays and plays. And I want to tell you, friends, if you think you can motivate yourself by nagging yourself, you are absolutely wrong. What, what happens is it just moves you to a perfectionist mentality where you beat yourself up all the time, where you constantly criticize yourself, where you put yourself down, where, where you demean and degrade yourself in life. And the problem is we learn this stuff. We learn it growing up. It may have been modeled for you. And here's the good news today. If it's learned then it can be unlearned in life. Many of you were perfectionists before you became believers. So, so when you, you took the step of faith and became a Christian, that little voice that had always been in your head, always telling you what's wrong with you, I mean, instead of it being your parents' voice or your, your conscience, you know, where you're kind of knocking yourself down all the time, it just shifts and you go, oh, it's God's voice. That's who it is. 
No, now God's going, come on, get your act together. What are you doing? Do this, do that. Don't do that. And so this voice that we think we're hearing, we think it's God, you know, the big critic in the sky watching over us. And it's not. I mean, there is a way out of this trap. It's, you're not going to find a way out through therapy or, or pills or watching Oprah. I did say Oprah. <laughs> Friends, the way out is to live in Graceland. God says, you know what? There is a better way to live life. Isaiah 55, 9 says, As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. The way out, God says, is my way. And that's what we're going to look at. I mean, M, it stands for modify your perspective that nobody's perfect. You've got to come to understand nobody's perfect. It seems obvious. It seems like a no-brainer. But it's where you have to start. Look around you real quick. Go ahead. Look down your row. Nobody's perfect, right? You're going, no kidding. Have you looked at my row lately? <laughs> I mean, the psalmist says nothing is perfect except God's word. That's why you need to build your life on God's word. It, there is nothing else in this world that's perfect. What popular opinion tells you isn't perfect. What you learned growing up isn't perfect. Only God's word is perfect. And if you get God's word in your life and you build your life on it because it's perfect... It changes everything. This is, a great, this is a great verse to put, just write it on a card and put it on your mirror in your bathroom or on the refrigerator. The fact is, there's nothing else perfect. And if you're spending all your time trying to obtain perfection in whatever area of your life that it is, the fact is, you spend all this time and you make everything you do perfect. If that's where you're running in your life, you're wasting your time. And as someone told me one time, 92% still an A. In fact, I think they've dropped it down to 90 in some places. Friends, you do not have enough time in your life to be perfect. You do not have enough money to be perfect. Ecclesiastes says, there's no one on earth who does what is right all the time. And never makes mistakes. There's a motto I hear once in a while. People go, I'm okay, you're okay. It was a book at one time. That is not true. Absolutely not true. I am not okay, and you are not okay. I can say it all I want, and inside my head, I'm going, who are you kidding? I mean, there are some areas in my life, there's some areas in your life that are not okay. So all the affirmations are not going to make me okay. You're imperfect, I'm imperfect, I'm not okay, and you're not okay. But because of God's grace, 
because we live in Graceland. That's why it's okay. Big shift here in thinking. I mean, what's that mean? Does it, does it mean that God's not interested in my growth? No. God wants you to grow in, in your life. Does it mean God doesn't want me to repent? No. We're, we're to repent of the things that we mess up. Does it mean that God doesn't want me to change? No. God wants you to change. What it means is that God isn't waiting for you to change to say, I love you, before God says, you're okay, I love you. First step, friends, is accepting God's grace and modifying your perspective and realizing nobody's perfect and that includes you, that, that it's okay. Why? Because we live in Graceland. The second thing is to yield to God, yield to God. At the root of perfection is this desire to be in control you got to give up the reins to God. Some of you think you can control everything. And then, that if you could, then it would be perfect. And it goes something like this, you know, if I could control my spouse, good luck with that, by the way, then my marriage would be perfect. If I could control my kids, then they would never get in trouble. They would be safe. If I could control my career, then things would be secure. You know, if I could control the people around me, this world would be a much better place. Now, first of all, that's not true. And secondly, most of the things in your life, definitely the important things, are totally out of your control. Totally out of your control. I asked you last week, who's stronger, you or God? I mean... So, so what do you do when life gets out of control? Well, you turn it over to God. Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. How many fishermen we got? Fisherwomen. <laughs> Casting. When you cast, you've got, you've got your rod, you've got your reel, and there comes a point, at some point you've got to let the line go. And if you don't, there is no cast. And the essence of casting is to let go. To let go. To overcome perfectionism, you got to let go. You got to let go. You got to let God handle things. If you want to live a long life, you got to memorize this next verse. A relaxed attitude lengthens a person's life. That is absolutely true. Casting creates a relaxed attitude because you know why? You're not carrying everything by yourself anymore. Can I say something here? It bothers me. Uh, the fact is that it kind of creates a trap in our life, this idea that things need to be perfect for me to be happy. Things do not have to be perfect for me to be happy. Things do not have to be perfect for me to enjoy them. There is no such thing as a perfect vacation. If you are waiting for one, you will never take one. And I would argue some of the best vacations are the ones that go crazy and go wild, fall apart. You know, there is no such thing as a perfect marriage. 
Guys, you married a sinner. That's why. She married a bigger one, but, you know. <laughs> I mean, who, seriously, who thinks you can take two imperfect people, put them together, and have a perfect relationship? It makes no sense. There are no such thing as perfect kids. There's no such thing as a perfect body. There's no such thing as a perfect job or a perfect church. There is nothing perfect in this world except for God's word. And if you're waiting for things to be perfect in your life so that you can enjoy them, you're never going to enjoy it. You know, I think about that every morning I get in my hot tub. And despite the pressures of life, despite the fact that we got bills to pay, the stock market's going crazy, the pressures are, are on, I have learned that I can enjoy that moment in spite of the imperfections in life. Paul said it this way. He said, I've learned to be content in whatever situation I'm in. I've learned to be content no matter what state I'm in. You notice he says learned, because my natural inclination is to be discontent in life, and so is yours. It is not natural to be content. It is something that you have to learn, that you have to work at in your life. If you're going to be content, you have to learn some things. You have to let some things go, cast it, and yield to God and say, your plan's God, not mine. And if God, who created this universe, who who parted the sea and delivered Moses and the Israelites, who who gave a young shepherd boy victory over Goliath, uh, that delivered Daniel from the lion's den, if that God was able to do that, do you really, seriously, do you think that you have a better plan? Yield to God you got to yield to God. God is more than able to deal with whatever it is that's going on in your life. W, wrestle with grace. What I want to suggest in here is that you remember how you got in the family of God in the first place. It was with grace. Ephesians 2.8 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. The only way you're saved... We talked about this a couple weeks ago, is by grace. The way you got in the Christian life is the way you continue the Christian life. By grace. By grace. It's everywhere. You need it. You know, Paul, he says, so then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him. You're not saved by grace and then live by works. A lot of people think that. You know, they think, all right, I'm saved by God's grace. It was a free gift of of grace that was given to me. And now I'm a Christian. I've got to work really, 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 really hard to keep God's approval. No, you don't. You absolutely don't. How you were saved. Grace. Were you saved by, like, promising to be perfect? No. So, friends, the way you live your life is not by promising to be perfect. It's by grace through faith. It's putting it into action. And, friends, you need to understand that everything, everything in life 
is a gift from God. Everything. You would not be alive today if it weren't for God's grace. You would not be able to breathe air. It's a gift of God's grace. The mind you have, a gift of God's grace. Your ability to see and hear, a gift of God's grace. Without grace, friends, there's nothing in this world. I mean, God teaches us through grace. He forgives us through grace. He guides us through grace. He blesses your life by grace. He gives you friends and family. Grace, absolutely nothing in your life. There's nothing that you can earn. And I know as I say that, some of you are going, wow, now, Damon. I'm going to work on Monday, and I earn my salary and my income. Who gave you the ability? If God hadn't given you the ability, the talent, the creativity, the intellect, the strength, you couldn't earn it. Absolutely couldn't. Everything, everything you owe to God's grace. And friends, understanding that truth is vital. Now, I understand that it's easier to understand than to live out. But, uh, you, you know, it's important that we live it out. A, acknowledge your status. 1 John 3, 1 says, See how very much our Heavenly Father loves, loves us, for he allows us to be called his children. Think of it, and we really are. When you become a believer, friends, you are not a servant anymore. You're a child of God. Now, a lot of people think, I give my life to, to Jesus Christ, and the rest of my life, I'm going to be a, a servant, and I'm going to serve him. That is true. But you are more than a servant, Scripture says. You're now much more than a servant. You're part of a royal family. You're the child of the king of kings. And here's the difference a servant, a servant is accepted or appreciated based on what he or she does. A child, a son, a daughter is appreciated and accepted based on who they are. You know, a servant, a servant starts the day kind of anxious and worried that the work that they do will please the master and a child friend rests in the fact that they are loved because they're part of the family. You know, a servant is accepted because of workmanship, and a child is accepted because of relationship. A servant's accepted because of productivity and performance, and a child is accepted because it's part of the family. At the end of the day, a servant has peace by proving his or her worth. The next morning, they get a start again. But a child, a son or daughter, can be secure all day knowing that tomorrow their status doesn't change. And when a servant fails, positions at stake might lose their job. But when a child fails, grieves a parent, you might get disciplined but you're not afraid of being thrown out of the family. Because the love, hear this, the love of God is not based on 
your performance. It's based on your position as a child of God. Friends, remember, you live in Graceland. How many parents here today? Let's see parents. All right. Are your kids perfect? Of course not. But do you still love them? Yes. You love them in spite of their imperfections. You know, when a, a child's like two or three, and they bring you a, a picture, and it's one of those you kind of look at and you, you have no idea what you're looking at. And they go, it's a picture of a cat. You go, oh, that's great. Now, what, what are you saying to them? You're not saying, oh, looks like a Picasso. You're saying, it's great for where you are, for the stage of maturity you are in your life. My grandkids uh, first learning to walk. They, they would stumble around a lot, bump into things, you know, kind of like their moms. Um, and uh, <laughs> it's true. Uh, but they, they'd fall down. And when they fell down, what do, you, what do you think I said to them? I was like, what's wrong with you? Can't you walk? You ought to try harder. Get up. No. I just went over and helped them and loved them. Because it's where they were. Do, do you love your children at every stage of their growth? Or... Are you waiting until they mature first, and then you go, ah, oh, I love you now? Because that's how some of you think God works, that God's waiting for you to grow up before he smiles on you, before God gives you a thumbs up and goes, it's okay, I love you. God loves you at every stage of your life, unconditional love. You do not have to be perfect for God to love you and to love me. God knows everything about you, and he still loves you. Everything. You know, Romans, Paul writes, he says, if God is for us, who can be against us? And you notice, it doesn't say that just that God's with us. It says, God is for us. That is the essence of the doctrine of grace. It is summed up with those four words. God is for us. If you've received God's grace, if you're part of the family of God, friends, God is for you. Now, if you're thumbing your nose at God and saying, you know what, God, I don't need you. I'm going to do this on my own. I'm going to get to heaven on my own. Well, first of all, you're not going to make it. But when you come to God sincerely and honestly and with humility... And say, you know what, I admit it. I am imperfect, I am messed up, and I need your grace, God. Friends, God is for you. He's for you. He's in your corner. And this is a hard one to accept because for some reason we are trained, we are programmed to think about conditional love. Somehow that we're not going to measure up. And you need to come to a point in your life to come to God's grace and understand at that point, God is for you. 
He's in your corner. The last step in my way, why yank perfectionism? You just got to rip it out. You got to rip it out of your life because it will destroy peace. And you get a choice in life. You can either live life with perfectionism or peace. But you can't do both. Perfectionism or peace. I mean, Jesus made an offer one time, and it's valid today. It was an offer that I believe makes all the difference in the world if you accept it. Jesus said this, are you tired, worn out, burnt out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me. And you'll recover your life. I will show you how to make how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. That's a deal. You see, God's perfect. And because God's perfect, he expects us to be perfect. In fact, Jesus uh, said, therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And when Jesus said that, he knew we couldn't do that. He knew it was impossible, but he was introducing grace. God came up with grace. That's why God sent Jesus Christ to this world. That's why Jesus Christ was perfect, so that we could get in on his perfection. I mean, you could either try and do it on your own, or you can yank perfectionism out of your life quit the performance treadmill and just accept Christ's perfection when you read the Bible you read about God's perfect standard of perfection and I don't have to read very long to realize there is no way I'm going to get it all right There is no way I can keep all the principles and the commands. There is no way it's going to happen. But friends, you do not have to worry because God has already taken care of things. By grace, Jesus has been perfection for you. You live in Graceland. If you've given your life to Christ, accept that grace. Realize where it is that you're living. If you haven't, taking that step you know I'd be glad to to talk to you you know catch me I'll pray with you this morning you know give me a call but Christian living hear this Christian living is also based on grace you are going to fail in fact you're going to fail a lot in this world and you're going to fail the things that you're to take care of And you're going to fail to live up to the expectations of other people, the stuff that people place on you. And you are going to fail and let people down throughout your life. And you're going to fail your own expectations. And you are not going to measure up to God's standard. You're going to sin. You're going to just botch it up. But because you live in Graceland, friends, You do not have to worry. You do not have to worry. There is nothing to worry about. There's only one failure that you need to worry about. Writer of Hebrews says, Be careful that no one fails to receive God's grace. 
you miss grace. You miss it all. So my question today is, are you living in Graceland? Because when you live in Graceland, it changes everything. It changes how you live. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Our holy God, I thank you for that unbelievable grace. A grace that is liberating, that is freeing. God, I know there are people here today that are trying to live life their way. God, I pray that they'd lay it down, that they would realize your ways are much better. God, I know there are people that have been beating themselves up for a long time. They don't even like themselves. God, I pray that your spirit, that you would scream loud and clear to them that they are loved, a much-loved son or daughter. God, we thank you that we can live free, that we're free indeed. We give you the glory, the praise, this day and every day. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.